Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to look this morning at a subject matter entitled, How is your hearing? How is your hearing? Mark chapter 4. Stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to begin there in verse uh, 1, and we'll read down to verse 20. Again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching... He said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then... When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I would pray that you would open our minds and hearts. Open our spiritual eyes and ears that we might see and understand the challenge that we are being presented with in this parable. May we be the good soil that produces fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book, Character Forged from Conflict, Gary Preston writes, back when the telegraph 
was the fastest growing means of long distance communication. There was a story, a story about a young man who applied for a job as a Morse code operator. Answering an ad in the newspaper, he went to the address that was listed. When he arrived, he entered a large, noisy office. And in the background, there was a telegraph that was clicking away. A sign on the receptionist's desk instructed job applicants to fill out a form and wait until they were called back for an interview. The young man filled out his form. He sat down with the seven other applicants. He was the last one of the seven to come into the room. Suddenly he got up and he walked across the receptionist office area and he walked through the door leading to the back room. Now naturally the other candidates perked up and they were confused. They were wondering what was going on. They muttered among themselves that they had not been called, and so how could this last young man to enter the room be so bold as to get up and go through that door? Well, within a few moments, the young man emerged from the back room with the boss man who announced to the other candidates that they could have a good day and leave, that the position had been filled, that this young man got the job. They protested. And the boss said, listen, you need to understand something. When you came in and you took a seat and filled out your application, in the background, the telegraph through Morse code was typing out a message to you. And if you would have been listening, you would have heard in that message, it said, if you can understand this message. Take your application and immediately get up and come to the back room. Do not say a word to anyone. Do not even speak to the receptionist. She will know what you're doing. Simply walk through the back room, the the door to the back room, and enter in. He said, all eight of you heard that message apparently, but, well, seven of you didn't. This young man did, and so the job is his. Listening is important. Folks, I submit to you that the most important listening of all is that you and I would listen for God's voice, that we would hear His voice through His Word, and that we would respond with obedient lives. That's the greatest challenge today. Why are more not seeming to hear? I want you to think a moment about two men in the Bible. First of all, there was Simon Peter, one of the inner circle of three, Peter and James and John. On one occasion, when Jesus said, Who do men say that I am? Simon Peter said, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. On the other hand, there was Judas Iscariot, and he betrayed the Lord Jesus. You say, how could that be? Those two men had spent the same amount of time with Jesus. They had walked with Jesus for three years and they had heard all of his teaching. How could one have this response and the other have that response? How can something like that happen? 
Fast forward to today. How can a husband and wife sit on the same pew in the same church and week after week hear the same message and one of them is responding to the Lord and growing in his or her faith and the other one remains indifferent and cold? How can something like that happen? In this parable, Jesus helps us to answer these questions, at least from the human side, from the side of human responsibility. We see in chapter 4 that Jesus is enjoying some degree of popularity. In verse 1, we learn that a huge crowd is pressing in upon him. There are so many people that Jesus has to get in a boat and push off from the shoreline. Boy, that'd be a great problem to have, wouldn't it? Imagine this massive crowd that is there to hear the Lord Jesus. And Jesus tells a parable. It is the first parable that he told. I think it's very significant that his very first parable deals with hearing and responding. Because you see, he knew that everyone in the crowd wasn't there for the right reason. All three synoptic gospels record this parable and plus Jesus gives the interpretation of it. It's one of only two parables where Jesus gives the interpretation. I think all of those factors tell us how important this parable is and help us to see the urgency in the message. Now there's two elements to the parable involving both warning and promise. The first angle is the warning element. The warning element is to the crowd. What kind of dirt am I? What kind of soil am I? Am I receptive to the seed falling in me? Am I really listening? Because on the surface it seems like a lot of people are are listening to God, but how many are truly embracing the claims of Christ and their lives are changed and their lives bear fruit? Jesus is pointing out that we've got to constantly ask ourselves, what type of dirt are we? The second angle that scholars write about concerning this parable is great promise and encouragement that ties in with the overall context. And let me say that that's the main motivation for me preaching this parable this morning. I'm preaching this parable today to all of us, but namely to Dan and Amber. You see, we had 19 recently returned from Malawi, Africa. And while they were in Malawi, Africa, over that period of 10 days, they saw well over a 1,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. What an amazing work God did through that team of 19 that you helped to send there. The African continent at the current moment is very receptive to the Word of God. A lot of mission organizations and churches are sending people to Africa because of that receptivity. The situation in Europe and North America right now is very different. In some ways, the gospel pendulum is swinging away from North America and Europe. The great cathedrals and churches in Europe following the Protestant Reformation are today little more than empty museums. 
America herself is turning away from the gospel and following the trend of Europe. Canada is doing the same and has been for decades. Kevin Seeger and I saw areas that Daniel and Amber took us to that would have between 50 and 80,000 people and no evangelical church whatsoever. They've even looked to see if somebody was hosting a Bible study in an area and have not been able to find such. Now, by way of comparison, could you imagine driving all over Concord and not being able to find one single church or Bible study? Folks, that's the situation that they're up against. And in that context, in that situation, it could be so easy for them to grow discouraged even before they begin. And that's the whole reason I picked this parable today to be an encouragement to them and also to some of you who are trying to be a witness to others at your work and no one seems to be listening or at least very few seem to be listening and responding. Jesus is saying in this parable, keep on keeping on. Though most will not respond, some will. God always has his remnant. God always has his elect. He always calls and some will respond. And so don't let the rejection of the minority keep you from sowing the seed and reaching that group of people represented by the fourth category here. Folks, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy and he said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. Paul endured all of his beatings, all of his imprisonments, all of his hardships for the sake of those who would believe. I want you to think of these disciples for a moment. They've witnessed Jesus' debates with the authorities and the rejection the religious authorities had to Jesus. They've seen John. They've just heard about John being imprisoned and they're about to hear about John the Baptist having his head chopped off. And so if you were one of Jesus' disciples and seeing all of this rejection, even of the Master Himself, you might begin asking yourself, is it really worth it? Is it really worth following Jesus? I mean, if people aren't even listening to Jesus, are they going to listen to me? And Jesus is saying, keep on, be faithful again, keep on for the sake of those who will hear. Because there will be those who hear and there will be those who have their lives changed. And because of your work, their names will be written in the book of life and you'll see them in heaven one day. And so for the sake of even the few, keep on doing what you're doing. First thing I want you to see with me this morning, when the gospel is preached, some are like the hard soil. Verses 4 and 15. Jesus begins telling uh, the crowd a story that every single one of them could have related to. Now they had a little different farming methods than us today, as you can only imagine. They would wear a large leather sack or some kind of pouch around their neck that would hang off of their side and it would be filled with seed. 
And they would take that seed and they would walk through their field and their fields would be separated from other people's fields by paths where all of the foot traffic went and so those paths would be hard. But a farmer would go about and he would kind of indiscriminately broadcast his seed everywhere. And then he would get his plow tool and hook it to a mule or an ox and he would plow the soil over top of the seed that he had broadcast. Now that's exactly backwards to what we do today. We prepare the soil first and then we put the seed in and gently cover it over. But they did just the opposite. They would broadcast the seed and then turn the soil over on top of it. One writer made a suggestion that they may have even been watching a farmer in action. Right in behind them, Jesus might have been looking up on the hill and seeing a farmer doing this very thing. And essentially, he's telling the crowd to look around at this farmer, turn around, look, and he tells a story based on what they're witnessing. And he gives the interpretation in verse 15. Some people, when they hear the gospel, are like the hard path. The seed falls on it, but it might as well fall on concrete because it's not going to penetrate or do any good. It's not that they don't hear, it just doesn't do any good. Now, I think a few things need to be pointed out here. First of all, there is nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is the very Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Paul said to the Romans in Romans 1.16, The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. There is nothing wrong with the seed. The seed is powerful. The seed in the story is the Word of God. I told you a story three years ago. I think it bears repeating. I read the testimony of Dr. Gaylord Kambarami, who is the General Secretary of the International Bible Society in Zimbabwe. He was passing out Bibles. One man didn't want one. The general secretary urged him to take the Bible anyway. He said, listen, if I take the Bible, all I'm going to do is I'm going to rip the pages out one by one and I'm going to put my tobacco in those pages and roll it up and smoke it. You want to give me a Bible knowing that I'm going to destroy it that way? And the general secretary said, I'm going to give you a Bible, but I want to challenge you to make a commitment to me to do something first man said, okay, what is that? He said, when you tear a page out and you're getting ready to roll your tobacco in it, first of all, sit down and take the time to read the words on that page. The man said, I'll do that. Some years later, Gaylord ran into him at a conference and and the man was not only saved, but he was serving as an evangelist. And Gaylord said, can you tell me what happened? He said, I'll tell you what happened. I smoked my way all the way through Matthew. (laughs) 
and I smoked my way all the way through Mark, and I smoked my way all the way through Luke, and I got halfway smoking my way through John, and suddenly the Spirit of God gripped my heart by what I had been reading, and I was gloriously saved. That's the power of the seed. Nothing wrong with the seed. Likewise, there's nothing wrong with the Spirit because He's the Spirit of the living God. And so the conclusion is if I'm hearing the Word of God and the Spirit of God is not using the Word of God to bring about transformation and fruitfulness in my life, then I need to ask myself, what's wrong with me? I must be bad dirt. You ever met anybody like this? I have. In my first church out of seminary, we were getting ready to have vacation Bible school in a week or two, and we were taking that week or two ahead of time to go out and canvas the neighborhood. And, and I went to a home in behind the church down in the valley where there was a man who, who worked for one of the local farmers, and I always saw kids running around in the front yard of his house. So I stopped there, and that man was home. And, and I had the opportunity to invite him to vacation Bible school and his kids and encouraged them to come to church. And he said, we're not going to be there. We're not going to come to vacation Bible school, not going to come to church. I said, why not? He said, listen, if God wants to get my attention, and God wants me, he's going to have to come down here personally and do something special to me, appear to me and speak to me. I said, well, sir, isn't that essentially what he did in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, the incarnation? He came down here. He said, I understand what you're saying, but he's going to have to do more than that for me. He's going to have to come right down here and appear to me personally and speak to me. And otherwise, I don't want anything to do with the gospel. And I don't want anything to do with the church. That man had a hard heart. And as far as I know, he never changed. No interest in the gospel. I may be talking to somebody right now giving a hardened response. For any number of reasons, you're here this morning. Maybe your wife has drug you here, your husband. They're, they're interested. You have no interest whatsoever in what's going on. You're here to appease a spouse or a parent, and that's all. But when it comes to the seed of the Word of God, you have no interest whatsoever. Hard soil. Jesus points out in verse 15 what's going on when a person is calloused or complacent about listening to God. Satan comes right along and he snatches away from you what you've heard. Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians uh, 4, 3 and 4 that Satan, the God of this world, blinds the mind of the unbeliever lest they see the glory of God in Christ and are saved. Folks, this right here warns us of something. When we hear the Word of God, whether it's in a Bible study or in church or in our private devotions, we need to say, God, help me to hear this, to really hear what you're saying through this, and help me to apply it. Help me to accept it for what it is. It is your Word. We don't need to be complacent about it because Satan can come right along and snatch it away. Folks, we need to understand that we are engaged in spiritual warfare and if we are complacent about God's Word, we fall right into the enemy's hands. 
James Montgomery Boyce tells the story of two women that he heard one day discussing spiritual things. One asked the other, why is America in such a declining moral and spiritual state today? Her friend replied, because the people love sin too much. Boyce said, I couldn't help but think of how profound her answer really was and how it ties in with Romans 1. In Romans 1, Boyce said, when the seed falls on hard soil and is rejected, when the truth of the gospel is rejected, it sets up the beginning of this huge downward spiral. Boyce writes, when God's word is rejected, the next thing to happen is spiritual ignorance. And then, the, and then next comes moral degeneration. And finally, people are not only practicing all manner of sin, but they're even approving of those who do. Paul goes on to say there, professing to be wise, they become fools. Folks, I think we can safely say today when people are pushing for men to be able to follow women and little girls into bathrooms and showers, we have become fools. It's all evidence that we have rejected the truth of God. Go back and read Romans 1 for yourself. The downward spiral begins in verse 18 of Romans 1. When we suppress the truth of God, this downward spiral inevitably begins. And when you read Romans 1 and see how far down the list we are in that downward spiral, I'm here to tell you this morning it's scary the first response is no response to the seed the word and no response is still a response it's a rejection secondly when the gospel is preached some receive it only out of emotion Jesus talks about the seed falling on the rocky soil. Now let me explain that too because you might be thinking in terms of digging in your yard and you come across a rock here that you throw aside and another rock over here. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In Israel, there were areas in Israel, still are. It might go for a quarter of a mile in each direction that right below the soil is this layer of bedrock. Now, you wouldn't know that unless you were digging real deep. So a farmer sows his seed, he tills it under, and he thinks everything's okay. But there's only a very shallow layer of soil. The rains would come, the, the seed would germinate quickly, then the rainy season would end, the weather would warm up and dry out, and, and these first plants would wither and die because once the surface waters and the rain went away, the soil was too uh, shallow to keep the plants nourished. What Jesus is describing here is the person who has a very shallow faith based on emotion. They hear the gospel, they get all excited about it, and thank God for that. Nothing wrong with emotion. There ought to be a little more excitement and emotion in church. Amen? I mean, an amen every now and then is pretty, encouragement, uh, pretty encouraging to the speaker. 
But this second response represents just an emotional response, and that's all they have. They want to feel good all the time. I can promise you every pastor out there has run into this crowd. They just want to feel good. They don't want to change. They're loving their sin. They just want to come to church, feel good. Preacher, say something that makes me feel good so then I can get back out and live any way I want to live. Or they hear the gospel maybe at a revival and they come down the aisle, they're crying like a baby and they're so excited for about a month. They jump into everything at church and everybody thinks, wow, this person's going to be the best of the harvest. Then they just drop off the map and it's like they turned away from their faith altogether. What happened? They didn't count the cost of being a disciple. They made an inappropriate response. There's no root there. Jesus says in verse 17, when tribulation or hardship or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. We meet a crowd like that in the Gospels. I think of John chapter 6. All the multitudes were following Jesus and he turned to them and remember that very hard saying that he said to them that they didn't understand. He said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part with me. And we're told that the crowd was offended by that saying and they turned away. And in John chapter 6 it says, they followed Jesus no more. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, you're going to turn away too? And they said, where would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. But they fell away. Folks, the person who listens to God has got to be ready to count the cost. Jesus said, if any man is going to come after me, he's got to deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. What are we doing with what we hear? Are we counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus or have we just made an emotional response to the gospel and then when something happens that we don't like or we hear something that we don't like, we fall away. When our faith gets tough, we turn away from it. What happens? Did we lose our salvation? No, because I believe once saved, always saved. I think a person who falls away was never saved to begin with. And I think that's the point here. They made an inappropriate response to the gospel. And if somebody makes an inappropriate response to the gospel, any time the going gets rough, they're going to fall by the wayside. Thirdly, when the gospel is preached, some give the initial impression that they receive it, but their life is so divided and crowded, nothing ever changes. Now, this right here is probably the biggest temptation of all for modern man. It's the case of two crops competing for the same soil. It's the case of spiritual things and worldly things trying to occupy the same space. And if somebody's made an inappropriate response to the gospel, guess which is going to win between spiritual things and worldly things? Worldly things will come out on top every time. Folks, if you've ever planted a garden, let me see the hands of those who plant gardens. You know exactly what he's talking here about weeds coming up and choking out the good plants, right? 
Going back to my first church out of seminary again, I wanted a garden there. It was out in a country area. And there was about two acres. There was a two-acre field between the parsonage and the church. And one of my good buddies in the church was a dairy farmer that sometimes I would go down to help him on his dairy farm and milk cows and all that kind of stuff. Believe it or not, I've done some of that. And he said, I'll help you plant a garden. I'll bring you a tractor with a disc on it. He said, I've got one hooked up right now. Well, I was expecting some kind of little garden tractor. He comes up the road in this Massey Ferguson that has the big closed-in cab on it, the dually back wheel, huge thing, had air conditioning in it, had a cooler, had a stereo system in it. I thought, wow, this is living. This is pretty nice. And the disc that he had on it, I kid you not, was probably as wide as from this aisle right here to this wild aisle over here. I just wanted a small garden to plant a few tomato plants. I mean, one pass with that big old disc, and I had a huge area plowed up. He said, now I'm going to show you how to operate all this. I'm not going to do it for you. So I had a blast doing it. He said, now we're going to really make this garden grow. I'm going to bring you a huge dump, uh, dump truck load of manure out of my barns. And so he brought that dump truck up there. And this time he did bring a little small, John, a well, medium-sized John Deere tractor. It had a scraper on the back and front-end loader on the front. And I think he brought that tractor just to be amused because the, the steering box in it was worn out. And you could steer that thing and go to turn. You'd do like this and nothing would happen. And then all of a sudden it would grab. And because you were doing like this, man, it'd shoot you that way and just about throw you out of the seat. Glenn and his brothers were really the only ones who could operate that tractor because of the steering. And so I'm out there. He is laughing. He is just bent over laughing at me spreading out manure uh, in, in, in that garden. But you know what happened after I planted everything and the plants started coming up? Every single weed, every single seed that those cows had eaten showed up in my garden. And the weeds were so bad, it just about choked everything else out. Now, folks, follow the order here. These here, and yet something happens. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, I'm not going to spend all the time I wanted to spend this morning on the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. But you and I know what a temptation this one is in the world today. We are governed so oftentimes by the tyranny of the urgent, by what we can see and touch and feel. And oftentimes we get on this treadmill and like, we're like hamsters on a treadmill running that we can't get off and it won't stop. Just everything is crowding in. It might be sports. It might be your kids' sports. It might be entertainment. It might be this hobby or that ho Whatever. You've got so many things in your life that have filled up your life. It's like you're going and going and going. All the demands at school, all the demands at work. And guess what? When all these demands crowd in... If you have made an inappropriate response to the gospel, guess what's going to get crowded out? It's going to be the gospel that gets crowded out. That's what's going to suffer every time. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. 
Again, this is one of the greatest temptations in the world. Somebody asked the billionaire Howard Hughes one time, how much more of this world do you need? You know how he responded? He said, just a little bit more. How much more do you need? Just a little bit more. It just never ends. We need to hear the words of Jesus when he said, what's it going to profit a man if he gains the whole entire world and yet loses his very own soul? Folks, the priority in life is knowing God. You know who I think of in the Scripture when I read this particular response? I think of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler had a lot of money, a lot of power. He came to Jesus. He said, I'll follow you. And Jesus said something to him that he didn't say to anybody else. Because, see, Jesus knew this guy loved his money and his power. Nothing wrong with money in and of itself. It can be used for the glory of God. But to this man who loved his money, Jesus said, you go and sell everything that you have, all the cares, all the riches in your life that you have, everything that's preventing you from being a disciple. Listen, if you're going to make an authentic response to me, you go and sell all of that and you come and follow me. And the Bible says he dropped his head sad and he walked away because he was very rich. This third response right here. And then finally, when the gospel is preached, some make a proper response in their lives, show it. They hear, they accept. In other words, they understand what God is really asking of them. They count the cost. And their Christian life is a constant pattern. They hear, they accept, they obey, they grow. And God reveals more truth to them. And they just keep growing. It's a pattern. They keep bearing fruit. And in the New Testament, when it talks about bearing fruit, two things are in mind. The inward sense and the outward sense. The inward sense is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 Love, joy, peace, kindness, that ninefold fruit of the Spirit. That's the inner fruit that we bear. And then the outer fruit is the souls that we touch for Jesus. Now folks, Jesus is saying a true response to Him, a legitimate response response to the gospel will result in a person who has a life that is changed to the point that to some degree they will bear fruit. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 8, bear fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Fruit bearing. A changed life, fruit-bearing, a sign of authenticity or not. Now, notice we don't all bear fruit to the same degree. He says 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Don't compare yourself to other people and get discouraged. Don't try to pigeonhole everybody into the same level of fruit-bearing. We're different. You're not going to accomplish what some disciples do, and, and, and you're going to accomplish more than others. Don't compare yourself that way. But the real test is a true disciple will bear fruit. I've read these stories before, some of these pastors, and I... All the sermons they preach, all the books they write, all the radio and TV programs, all I mean, this huge array of things that they accomplish in their life. And, and I think I accomplish a, a good bit of stuff, but I look, at, I look at what they're doing and I think, how is that even possible? And you know what? It would be easy if you compared yourself 
to become pretty discouraged. Don't. We're all different. But again, your life and my life, to some degree, if we've made an authentic response to Jesus Christ, you will show it by the fruit that you bear. And I want you to notice the invitation that Jesus closes with in verse 9. He says, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's like he's saying, are, are you really listening? Do you understand what I'm saying? Folks, as scholars point out here, Jesus is not giving us a cafeteria-style, multiple-choice way. I'll make this kind of response, this kind of response, this kind of response. No. You see, sometimes we think what Jesus is talking about, the first response, we know that's bad. We know that's an unbeliever. The next two responses, we're tempted to say, that's okay, but not ideal. And the fourth one is the good one. But as scholars on this parable point out, no, Jesus is not doing... He's pointing out that the first three, regardless of how they look, are illegitimate responses to following Jesus. There's only one legitimate response that shows the new birth. And that response is a life change that results in bearing fruit. I want to ask you this morning, have you heard, have you really heard what he says about salvation? Have you counted the cost? How about now in your Christian walk, every time you read or or hear the Word of God, are you sensitive to what God is telling you? Are there things of the world choking out what Christ wants to do in you? What type of dirt are you? What does your life show? Because again, your life will show whether or not you've made a legitimate response to Jesus Christ or not. Because not everybody sitting in a church pew has made a legitimate response. Have you? And if you have and you're bearing fruit and you're sowing the seed of the gospel and people around you don't seem to be responding, don't give up. The majority didn't respond to Jesus either. Keep on. As Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Keep on sowing the seed. Whether or not you see a Malawi, Africa response to the gospel or whether or not you see a Canadian response or an American response to the gospel, keep sowing the seed because God always has His remnant.